there were times when I couldn't even understand what they were saying. Yeah. And, and eventually I would figure it out because they would keep on pointing or referring to <laughs> that thing, but they would, they'd be calling it a very odd word. It is the Ursa. It's like, what, what was that? It is the Ursa. It's like, whoa, whoa, what was that again? This is episode 47 of the Movie Byte Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, June 12, 2013. I am your host, TJ, and folks, it is no magic trick. I am joined today by my co-host, Joe Darnell. Epicadabra there, TJ. Yes, how are you, Joe? I'm doing great, and I'm so sorry, people. I cannot talk as fast as Jesse Eisenberg, so... Why, I why not? I, I really have no magical parts about me. I just, I just deliver it as quickly as I can, which is never fast enough, right? Because it still takes us an hour and 30 minutes to get through a show. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? No, it's digestible, right? We, we're well-paced. We're like, like feature-length podcasts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So how have you been, Joe? We, 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 you know what? Before, before we go much further, we have to apologize to our listeners. This is... Yes, we're so sorry. We know how much you rely on us. It's the first time, Joe, that we have ever missed a week with the Movie Bite podcast. Now, there's been weeks where I was not able to be on, and there have been weeks when you were not able to be on. But mm. it is the first time in the history of the Movie Bite podcast, almost a year, yeah. that, that we missed a week because of unforeseen circumstances. So, yeah, I, you know it, what? It, I, I feel pretty good about that. But at the same time, you know, it's like... I'm I'm so sorry. I mean, we want to be there for the listeners, and so I'm you know. Um, I'm, hey, I'm we're sorry. doing much better than ABC does with their you know their prime shows. If you think about it, we're doing better than everybody. We podcasters really deliver. We give you a lot of bang for your buck. They have yeah. nothing to complain about. No, agreed. Honestly, I probably catch. Well, I get I catch like thirteen episodes, you know, pod, different podcasts every week, and. I notice when they miss one. Rookie. It's not, that, it's not very often, but... Uh, rookie. Rookie? What do you mean, rookie? I catch more podcasts than that in a week. Easily. <laughs> I, uh, well, I pride myself on my, my, uh, my, my noob qualities then, because 13 is enough for me, man. How many do you catch? Oh, I have no idea, but... Do you actually listen to them all the way through? Um, it depends. There, there are some podcasts I subscribe to that it's like, if I'll look like, okay, I'm a big fan of the incomparable, but I don't listen to every single episode because some of them I've either not watched the film or I'm just not interested at all in what they're talking about. It's kind of a, a smorgasbord or a hodgepodge. And, uh, you know, but if it is a subject that I'm interested in, I will listen to it. Like they just recently did a Star Trek episode. They sometimes do Star Wars episode. You, you know, if it's an episode with, with a topic that I'm interested in, I'll listen to it. So, um, I, I, do you have any podcasts that you listen don't listen to all of them? I mean, that's that's a good question. I usually listen to the 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 comparable every episode, like you, until I started spotting frequent uh, subjects that just didn't interest me. And when that happened, I was kind of like, "Hey, these guys are great," but I really, really know I'll never take an interest in this comic book or this graphic novel or whatever. So I would skip those episodes, yeah. and then it got to a point where I was only catching like one a month and really? I was kind of, yeah. And so I was, I was like, well, I'll catch these guys some other way. I'll, I'll get them through other means. And so then that's when I started paying attention to other podcasts. So if I don't, if I don't want to listen to a show at least three times a month, like, you know, three out of four episodes in a month, then it kind of goes by the wayside. 
yeah, yeah i mean for me it, for me it doesn't hurt to have the show um in you know in the feed and or in my podcast client and you know i look at the description and if i'm interested i get it and if not i mark it as played and, and move on and that's oh. kind of how i do the incomparable but I, i'd say i catch at least uh you, you know they do like a a roughly a weekly show right i mean it's it's a little bit their schedule yeah, I, I can't quite every week but you know i i catch it if i like it and if, if not i don't and it's it's no big deal if i if i don't catch it because uh it, it just doesn't hurt anything to have it there. And I catch probably two episodes a month. Uh, they have something that I'm interested in. So, you know, what? I'm going to put that in the show notes because it is a great podcast. And, you know, you may find more uh, more like-minded interest even than me. So uh, I'll put that in the show notes and I'll paste it in the chat room for anybody interested. All right. You know, TGA, <clears throat> I, I really missed last week's episode because we would have talked about Now You See Me. And now we're going to talk about Now You See Me and After Earth in this episode, right? Yeah, I don't know if that's a bad thing though, because I don't I don't know that I have a lot to say about Now You See Me, and I have probably more to say about After Earth. Oh, okay. Actually, so, I'm the other way around. Okay, well, maybe we'll have a pretty long episode then. Eh, uh, all in all, but the you, double features always end up going a little bit longer than you would expect. Yeah. Yep. So um, the interesting thing is, Joe, I haven't had a lot of. I, I've been so busy with with this uh, film project that I'm wrapping up. Uh, I've been working till nine most nights and getting up at uh, four or five in the morning to try to make sure that Movie Byte is populated with content and get in, you know, to work on that film at a decent time. It's kind of inside baseball, so I'll move on. But I've just been so busy that the interesting thing about this show is that most of the items of interest we have before we get to our main topics are going to be stuff that I'd already cl- collected for last week's episode. I don't have anything new in the in the outline oh, from okay. last week, so. And, news and, from the past. Yeah, so in one way, the news might seem outdated, but I'm, I looked across, I looked at it all, and I thought, well, you know, it all still feels pretty relevant. So we're we're going to talk about it, like you know, because yeah, people will be these interested. things are pretty current. I saw your list; they're pretty current. Yeah, and the first thing I want to talk about, I promised the listeners that I would uh, talk about Fast and Furious Six just a little bit, and that I would go see it so that I could have an informed opinion. Because we, you know what, I got I took some flack, I, and you know what, I can take it on the chin. I'm a, I'm a man. <laughs> but uh, I, I took a little bit of uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't call um, going to see Fast and Furious 6 manning up exactly but <laughs> you mean it's not a man's man's film come on Joe I mean this is, oh. this is an adrenaline rush right it's all about the testosterone and the adrenaline and I, I guarantee you that's what they say most of the most of the women that I know certainly my wife uh, and most of the ladies that I know would not be interested in Fast and Furious 6 at all and if there's anybody who's interested in it, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry for you, but uh, it's going to be a male for the most part, at least amongst my friends. So, uh, did you ever uh, see the TV specials on TBS in the '90s where they would do a feature like once a week? They had an evening for um, I forget what they called the evening, but I remember their their motto for the evening. It was movies for guys who like movies, <laughs> and they'd always have something like Rambo Twenty. Or something going on, and it was like that every week. RoboCop seventeen. It was always these films that no one had ever got around to. And Fast and Furious six feels like it would be a shoe in for that category, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I suppose so. But here, here's the thing. So I, I said I would say a little bit about it, and 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 here's the thing. Um, as you might expect, there were some things about the film that were better than I thought they would be. And also, as you might expect of the film of this caliber, there were things that were far worse than I did thought. Did you see all the other sequels? I, I haven't, no. I, I did not want to subject myself to that. 
Okay. And and I could see where the film would make a little bit more sense. If I mean, you could tell there were things that they were tying up or things that they were alluding to or things that had been happening. But I don't think that that affected my overall opinion of the film. I mean, like, because you can, you can go into a film and still appreciate the film and its filmmaking, and you can appreciate the story that is there and that you're getting familiar with uh, without knowing the backstory, right? Yeah. I mean, for for instance, one of my favorite films that we've talked about recently with Dan Benjamin, uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, I feel like that's a film that you can go into, and yes, you're going to miss a little bit of the relationship and the backstory, but you're gonna, that's still a decent film, and you're going to get what's going on. Uh, same same goes for the most recent Star Trek film. I'm trying to think of another film. Um, you know, something like, something like that. I felt like Fast and Furious 6 was that way. Like, y- you could get layers of depth. If you knew more of the backstory, but you didn't, it wasn't necessary and required. And you assumed a relationship. You assumed things. I mean, and certainly the story was all about a loose end that had been left dangling from a previous film. There's no doubt about that. Ah, oh, kind of like Wrath of Khan. Uh sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, but this film, I'm I'm sorry, it was not a good film. Uh, it it just wasn't. Um, how do I? I'm, I'm trying to put into words. Uh, what I uh, what I'm feeling about the film, and so I'm going to pull up some a little something I wrote about it in one of my what to see uh, features. Um, and so I'll just read a little bit here because I know there are people who listen to the podcast who don't read everything I post on Movie Byte. And so basically, if I it, talk about. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, it, Joe. If it's anything like Fast Five, then it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. So I wrote as I, so I saw it, and as you would expect, some things about the film were better than I expected, and some were worse. My overall opinion remains unchanged. It is not a good film. It was way too ludicrous and ridiculous in concept. <laughs> this film franchise seems to exist almost entirely for the over-the-top action sequences, wrecking hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cars, defying the laws of physics and gravity, etc. There was no explanation or reason for why the bad guy was doing bad things. The only thing I was surprised by was there was a tiny bit more plot and character development. No, that's not too strong. I should say character. No, that's too strong. I should say character moments for the good guys. Well, for a couple of the good guys. Check your brains at the door because logic and good storytelling <laughs> need not apply here. And and that's the thing. Like it's, it's the most nonsensical thing you've ever seen. And, and I'm telling you what. That did you see the film by any chance? No. There is a scene toward the end of the film where the plane is running down the runway. For miles and miles and miles. I mean, they're, they're, this fight is going on. Every, everybody's fighting amongst themselves. And this sequence lasts like 10 minutes, and they never get to the end of that runway. And, you know, I've seen some, <laughs> some people who defend the film. They were talking about how, oh, well, what's happening is you're seeing multiple people uh, at the same time, but they're just cutting to another scene that's happening at the same time. So it's not as long as you think. If you think about each each thing happening simultaneously, I'm sorry, no. The way it's it was just cut, poor filmmaking. No, it was it was bad filmmaking. The way it was cut together and how long it took, it just was completely not believable that that film that that runway did not they didn't run out of runway on this thing as they yeah. were trying to keep sorry, the plane people, from leaving the ground. We don't make apologies for bad filmmaking. No, it was it was terrible. Um, I did not. Or, or should I say we don't make allowances for? I, I did not enjoy the film except that I enjoyed thinking of how to make fun of it. <laughs> uh, it you know you know how you get enjoyment uh, oh, yeah. uh, out of the sort of like ridiculous things that are happening. Did you um, ever see that um movie it's called something like Acrophobia? No. It's like spiders that grow out at the woodwork of a house and attack the family and torment them all kinds of crazy ways and there's this one mother spider that 
that somehow grew to gargantuan proportions and it's a horror and scares the living daylights out of the homeowners and stuff. And it just goes way over the top and they live on a, in a farmhouse. And so the, it's like, Ooh, the big old spiders in the barn. What should we do? Well, maybe we should open the barn doors and poke at it with our pitchforks. <laughs> and, 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 and somehow this was set in like the late eighties or early nineties not like a period film like Frankenstein or something where it's supposed to be set in, you know, the 1700s or previous, you know, it's supposed to be modern day. And it's like, uh, really come on people. If, okay. This is just stupid. And there was another one that did that same thing. It was about bees taking over a house and it's like the same thing. Ridiculous it's, and it's, over the top and dumb. just stupid sensationalized you know, yeah, bottom uh, of the barrel stuff. I don't want to waste a lot more breath on Fast and Furious, but it was just, it was terrible. And the whole concept of this whole <sighs> vehicular warfare thing. I mean, I just, I'm not buying oh, it. brother. I'm not buying it. And and I'll just say this. I won't spoil it, but the end of the film uh, is so ludicrously ridiculous. It, it just doesn't work on any level. It's completely in- insane. So shall we talk about Man of Steel? Who's excited yeah. about Man of Steel? Me, I'm raising my hand. I know you, can't, you guys can't see me. I thought, this is theater of the mind, so I got to tell you, you that I'm raising my hand. I'm excited for the upcoming Man of Steel. So there are a bunch of goodies that I'm going to put in the show notes. Uh, here's here's just a taste, right here. No matter how violent, every action I take is for the greater good of my people. My son is twice the man you are. You're a monster, Zod. I'm gonna stop you. Advanced tickets now on sale. Sorry, I was getting caught up in that. That was a 30-second trailer. I figured I'd just let it play. Uh. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's just one of the, the things. I mean, there's uh, so there's ads and TV spots. There's a new feature. There's a a featurette, a 13-minute featurette. There's a Man of Steel Easter egg, which I'm trying to remember what that is off the top of my head. I posted that uh, June It's the 5th. Lex Corp building. Yes, yes, yes. That's what it is. As soon as I loaded yeah. it, I saw what that is. So obviously Luther will be in here in some way. I expect that it's going to be foreshadowing of what we might yeah. see in the next film. Uh, we might even meet the man. Who knows? I don't know. Nobody really Highly knows unlikely, yet. but yeah. <laughs> you think it's unlikely? Yeah, at the end of the movie, they'll probably, after the wrap-up, you know, um, someone at the Daily Planet will uh, say, hey, today we got a uh, a report from so-and-so, and here is this calling card. And they'll whip out, like, a business card from LexCorp, and it'll have Lex Luthor's <laughs> name on it. It'll be handed to I Clark Kent, and they'll tell him, go off and investigate this story. Wrong franchise, dude. <laughs> for those who don't know if you're listening to this podcast it's christopher you've got, nolan's you've other got to know oh, right. if you're listening to this podcast you have to i'm not even going to go into it it just it's another christopher nolan franchise and you know exactly what it is so um so, so while we're talking about uh the uh, man of steel i do if i'm trying i'm trying to find it here make sure all this stuff is in the show notes um there's i heard today that there is a uh, like a four foot tall action figure of superman for this movie in stores now really people you need a four foot tall figurine of superman yes i don't know (sighs) um so lots of obviously lots of lots of superman stuff excuse me lots of man of steel stuff on the movie bite site right now uh it's coming out this weekend i couldn't be more excited um yeah i'll make sure all this stuff is in the show notes uh and you can check that out um Man, Wait a minute. Was, 
Did we ever talk about who our favorite superheroes are? I don't know if we ever have. I don't know Mine's, if this is a great episode to do it, but we'll take a minute to do it. For what it's worth, we'll you know we'll be talking about the uh, the Iron Man Hishi video in a second too. Um, I'll just go ahead and say, yeah, my my favorite all time favorite is Superman. I, I have a place in my heart for other su- you know superheroes, but yeah, I don't know if I can pick a favorite just like just like that. I mean, Superman certainly has a special place in my heart because I always loved the first Superman movie. That was the I mean, we had that on VHS when I was growing up and yeah. we watched it uh, probably a couple times a year. It's one um, of my favorite films. And occasionally we would rent the second film, even though the second one is not as good because, of the, you know, if anybody knows about the troubled history that, that that film had of getting to the screen and how the director, you know, Richard Donner was fired and they brought in a different director who changed it up and made it more campy. That was the beginning of the end for Christopher Reese Superman films. Uh, and then three and four are just terrible. We would watch those occasionally. And as a, as a kid, even I thought, eh, I don't like those that much. Um, <laughs> but certainly now I, I've gone back and watched them all. And I was just like, what were they thinking? It's terrible. Richard Pryor. What? It's just crazy. And, and I don't even talk about quest for peace. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I have not seen Superman three since I was like five years old. And I, I want to keep it that way. And Superman two I think is going to be really shown up by the man of steel. Have, have, have you seen the Richard Donner cut of, uh, uh, yes, Superman, I own it. Superman two. You know, it's, it's hard to, to move past. Some of the scenes are cut in from the, uh, the screen tests and they're not in the right clothes and things, but the story makes so much more sense. I mean, yes. you know, it's, it's, it's the way incredible. it connects to part. Well, not part one, but you know, Superman, the movie, the first one makes a lot more sense. Oh, Sure. Um, there were still some things, even in the Richard Donner cut, and I, I don't know if it was because he just didn't have the footage to be able to put it together the way he originally would have if he had shot it all. That is the case. They they didn't have um, it in the budget for Superman 2 to keep Marlon Brando, so all the footage with Marlon was nixed, and then they introduced um, scenes that were reshot with uh, – what's her name? I don't uh, remember her name, his, but it's Superman's yeah, real Superman's mother. mother. Yeah, or his birth mother. <laughs> his real mother. Man, you're getting as bad as I am. His birth mother is what I meant to say. And, and uh, yeah, that didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, we're getting derailed by Superman movies, but that's okay. That didn't make a lot of sense to me, especially going back and watching it. It makes sense from a budgetary standpoint. New podcast. Able. It's all about the Man of Steel. It's, 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 my, it's my show, it's man. All about, it's, about, it's all about Superman. It's my show. I'm changing it up. It's my show. You're, <laughs> you're leaving. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, you know, but I understand why they did it for a budgetary reason, but it really didn't. I mean, because we never saw Superman's birth mother in the crystals before. It was just kind of weird. So anyway, uh, the Superman 2 is not a horrible film. So Superman 3 and 4, I pretend they don't exist. And that's kind of what I loved personally about um, uh, Superman Returns was it basically kind of picked up pretending that 3 and 4 were never made. And it also took advantage of modern filmmaking and also took advantage of where Superman is today. They've uh, they brought him up to speed. They modernized him and stuff like that. So it paid a lot of, of homages to the old films by Richard and with Christopher Reeves, but I didn't like yeah, the extent we know. to which they they paid homages. We know. I love well, it. The reason I mention that is because it brings us full circle. Now with The Man of Steel, I really do appreciate that they're they're going to create something mostly unique and reimagined from the ground up with a clean slate, just saying, what would we do 
if there were no other Superman films. Yeah, and I do like that aspect of it, uh, and I think I'm going to like what's going on here, despite my in, in spite of myself. So, well, in spite of all the reviews or feedback so far on Rotten Tomatoes, too, right? Oh yeah, that was the article I was looking for. Was that today? Did I post that today? I get the days mixed up. Here we go. Mixed critic reception for Man of Steel. Um, Kevin Jagernoth at the playlist reports. Reception certainly has been mixed. Our own review stated that it strains under Snyder's indulgent action tendencies but succeeds on heart where Braun will not. But overall, reactions have varied from some calling it a masterpiece to others saying it's a big mess. Big well, miss. What well, what they're saying it, that makes it a big miss is how generic and you know cliche the blockbuster epic qualities are about the story and it's the way it's told. Yeah, the one that got me though. I mean, all of it seemed like pretty, pretty good stuff. I mean, or, or pretty well thought through stuff, except for this one from the Associated Press. It says the awkward uh, acrobatics to modernize Man of Steel are most evident with its new explanation of Superman's shield. The S we are told doesn't stand for Superman, but is a Krypton glyph meaning hope. But if S doesn't stand for Superman, Man of Steel is the one with the identity issues, not to mention a spelling problem. That doesn't make any sense. What are they even suggesting? Well, that, look, that, that doesn't compute. That's never been an S. That's what kills me. I mean, the resemblance is there, and that's kind of what my understanding is what inspired the name Superman. But it's never been an S. It's always been a Krypton glyph. Well, that's not entirely true. There were different versions. Um, you know how Spider-Man has like four different canonical versions with uh, there's the ultimate spider-man there's the amazing spider-man etc and the same thing is true of superman and batman they all and you know when we call it canon we're actually referring to whatever it is that marvel or dc created yeah and over the decades superman has had various incarnations and there's been a variety of situations for instance where lois lane dies well, did any given one of them actually happen in terms of canon? We don't really know because they've never nailed that down. But if you go all the way back to the Superboy days, and uh, a lot of people would remember those if they were paying attention to superheroes in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, they suggested in different versions that it was an S. And things like it was given to him by Lois. And he actually had like the entire outfit, but no emblem on his chest. And so the people of Metropolis worked together and designed an emblem and said, here, as repre- representing the people, we would like you to wear this because you represent us and we bequeath this to you. You know, so there was like different suggestions about how the S came about to explain why he wasn't arrogant for putting a big old S on his shirt. Well, you know. But for, for the most part, though, I mean, even in the original Superman movies with Christopher Reeves, it was never meant to be an S. It was it, always yeah, understood to be a Krypton exactly. glyph. So that's why yes. I say that this this nonsense that these the people of the, whoever did this review at the Associated Press is just nonsensical. It's just dumb. Uh, in the whole the whole paragraph didn't make sense. They were trying to you know it's one of those reviews where they're trying to to be somehow catchy and funny and and, and and clever in their writing and i just you know yeah. I, I don't mind being i like to be clever in my writing too but if it doesn't make sense it's time to make that paragraph or that sentence or whatever it is go away well i'm i'm kind of upset by some people in the uh media that are talking about the political agenda of superhero films and they're picking apart superman as uh, representing nietzscheism and nietzscheism how do you pronounce that anyway uh representing how so uh, socialism and communism how he's somehow an, an evil man because he's overlording us and he is a god and they, they make all these outlandish 
you know, suggestions. And it's like, really, people? You're just trying to make a sensational article to get click-throughs. Yeah, such a bunch of nonsense. Michael Minkoff had an interesting observation. Uh, he's a, a host of one of our shows here on Movie Byte. Um, but he had an interesting observation on Facebook um, when I posted the link to this uh, article on the mixed critic reception. He said it's better for there to be mixed reception by critics, i.e. some loved it, some hated it, than for it to be a critically mixed reception, i.e. every critic had mixed feelings about it. In my experience, a film that sparks strongly different reactions from from different critics is usually worth seeing. And, and that's a really astute observation. I, I really – I agree with that. Do you, Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> He's right. Oh, Michael's some, usually observe, you know, very, very, uh, astute like that. So some, somebody responded to Michael. I just noticed this, uh, a critic don't know more about a movie than no one else. He or she is just telling their viewpoint, which mean nothing to me, mean <laughs> nothing to me. Uh, I don't want to disparage our audience. I love you guys, but if that's the way you feel, you shouldn't read movie bite. Cause this is all about opinions. So sorry, buddy. <laughs> Uh, kind of, yeah, they kind of missed the point. Missed the point. That's absolutely right. So anyway, uh, man, cited for Man of Steel. Check out check out all the links in the show notes about uh, Man of Steel. Uh, lots of trailers, lots of featurettes, articles, uh, lots of good stuff going on with Man of Steel. We're going to get to see it this weekend. Can't wait. Uh, I've got tickets to see it Friday night with my wife on a date. So uh, I will certainly have fun, whether it's a good film or not. It's going right. to be good, I think. Yeah, I think it is too. What else we got in the show notes here? Well, you wanted to talk about the Pixar short, the the blue umbrella. Yeah, let's see. This is the thing about doing a show on notes that I created two weeks ago. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. That well, I was the issue in being about. that Pixar shorts and Pixar movies usually look a little bit cartoony, even though they can make them very photorealistic mm-hmm. with CG animation. Yep. But in this case, they really went all out to make it look like photorealistic environments for the story. With one huge exception, and that is the fantastic, fanciful way in which the umbrella has come to life and has a face and is able to mobilize himself. Um, I wonder if they're going to have people, like if they're going to show people in the streets, because have, have you seen anything, any shots where they show people moving about? Because it looks like the whole story takes place in a major city like New York. Uh, I a while back I saw just a little bit of it and it did look pretty photorealistic. They've released some little bit of it online. I haven't seen much of it, so uh, it, yeah, I, that, it's, it's definitely intriguing. This whole photoreal approach to a Pixar short. I mean, Pixar's never done anything like that before. Not um, necessarily. Um, it depends on how you look at it, but I think that the Pixar shorts are all about experimentation and seeing what works for general audiences. So that they can then say, oh, well, if uh, general audiences really like this look and feel, then maybe we will make more use of it in a future, you know, feature length film. So oh, I, I could definitely more see power to them. I could definitely see a feature length Pixar film looking much more photo real, you know, but at the same time, um, it, it, it's weird because like to some extent you even want to make sure your audience sees an animated film, sees the film as an animated film. And and then you're in a completely different mindset. So it's a little strange. It's like a line that you usually don't cross with an animated film, even though we obviously have CG technology that can make so much stuff look so photoreal. Um, well, do you remember what they said about the making of Finding Nemo? Uh, they actually toned it back. Yeah, because yeah. they, what they didn't realize is they could actually make everything in the ocean look photorealistic and rather easily so. 
they challenged their animators to create very realistic environments, very realistic whales, fish, and they didn't believe it, but they could actually do it where it was hard to tell the difference between real footage and animation. And then they said for stylistic choices, they wanted this to be a a kid's story. So why would it look so photorealistic? It took away from the personalities of the fish being uh, animated characters and coming to life as a, a fantastic story, if you will, like a bedtime story. So they wanted it to be less realistic. And I think that that was the smart way to go. I, I, I'm okay with them trying these kinds of things, but even though it looks very photorealistic, come on people. It's actually not because the blue umbrella, him, it self, it, uh, it has a face and the face is just like two eyes and a mouth on the side of the cloth. It's, uh, it's stranger than Mary Poppins umbrella. You know, this thing has a completely two-dimensional face for no apparent reason in a very realistic environment. And so that, that's what actually kind of bothers me. It doesn't seem like they're compatible relationships. Having a very realistic world with an absolutely preposterous living character in that world. So I wonder if there's an explanation like... Well, you know, magic dust time, got on the umbrella and made it come to life or something. <laughs> at the same time, I could see it being a great contrast. Like, here's all this real stuff. Here's this obviously not real thing. You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm interested to see how it goes. But it's yeah. definitely an interesting thing. I mean, we're living in an age when they made Audrey Hepburn come back to life. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, we all know she was not real in the first place. She was too perfect. Yeah. Yep. So shall we talk about how Iron Man should have ended? Yes. I, I really enjoyed this one a lot. Okay, Jarvis, I just gave my home address to an international terrorist and challenged him to a fight. I want you to cancel all detective work rendering projects and focus all of our resources on defending my house from attack. All right. <laughs> now, we don't normally talk about parodies, but this one deserves it. Oh, we do sometimes. I, and, and yes, I did, did, you, did you watch this recently? It's been a week since I watched it. Yes, actually, because I wanted to um, talk about it with a fresh perspective. I haven't seen it until today. Yeah, I, I wish I'd had time, but I'd re- re- literally just roll in, in to start podcasting from working today. So. How, many, how many times did you watch the movie? Once. Okay. I know a few people who saw it more than once. Did you feel like it was a worthy film? Does it, I, I did, mean, I, like with I, more time to absorb it, do you think it lives up to the others? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like I like the film, no doubt. Um, I, I liked it a lot, um, and 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 it's certainly way better than Iron Man Two. I'd put it pretty close to the same level as the first film, but I was a little annoyed by the logical inconsistencies. I'll give you that, and I'll and and it, it's like I wrote in, in this post. Um, I loved Iron Man Three, but it was definitely full of those logical inconsistencies, which the guys behind uh, How It Should Have Ended have thrived on. So, and I'll, in general, <laughs> I think those logical inconsistencies were forced as well, and that's one of the things that bothers me. Like uh, The Dark Knight Rises, things that they forced into the story are the things that bother us the most. Like Tony finding a clever way to, you know, illustrate his commitment to his relationship with Pepper. So he'll destroy all of his suits, you know, yeah, it doesn't actually make sense, but it was forced and uncharacteristic of his character so that when he did it, you don't full, I didn't. And I don't think most people fully appreciated 
that he would actually do that. So it didn't feel like it was actually happening. Like it was like seeing something that should not have happened, but they did anyway. So again, like I said, it's forced. Yeah, I agree. I love how uh, Superman and Batman show up in every one of these things now. Yes. That's what bothers you? Yeah, that bugs me. Well, you know what bugs me? How you got all the way back to Gotham City after climbing out of that prison on the other side of the planet. (laughs) Why don't you explain that? Why do so many people have a problem with this? I said, it's because I'm Batman. Can we get back to the story? (laughs) that's perfect you guys really should check this out it's uh it's awesome and 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 uh do you think uh, all those guys are voiced by the same voice guy oh well i'm not sure but i know that's the same voice for batman or at least it sure sounds like it okay because when the when you hear the boy in the parody for how it should have ended it, it sounds like the man just like artificially uh you know made his voice higher to sound more like you know a boy <laughs> I, I, I got a kick out of that yeah i did it too tony the world's in danger. It's time to assemble. We need you. Roar, Avengers. <laughs> need Tony. Need suit. Oh, you guys are still around. I'm sorry, everyone. I just blew up all my suits. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably one of the funniest they've made. Yeah, I have to stop myself. I'm going to ruin the whole thing for you guys, and you really should just watch it. It's 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 incredible. It's in the show notes. All right. Um... I wanted to go on a little rant and a little tirade, but I got to refresh my memory on exactly how I put all this together. Mm. Um, this is about the copyright and and, and st- the, all that garbage going on. Okay, so the first thing is that uh, Jerry Bruckheimer is sued over Pirates franchise. Uh, the company has been hit with a copyright infringement lawsuit by a man who claims that he came up with numerous elements of a hugely successful Pirates film series, including characters, supernatural elements, storylines, plots, themes, sequence structures, and screenplay elements, according to court documents obtained by The Wrap, they stole my podcast name, uh, in the suit filed in <laughs> U.S. District Court in Florida on Tuesday, Florida resident Royce Matthews claims that Disney infringed on a story that Matthew had written. And I, it's nuts. It's nuts, right? I mean, come on. It, you can't have any success in this in, around here without people just going crazy on copyright and patent trolling and, and stuff. Okay, the second thing here is uh, Twilight Paradise sues Lion, Sue Lionsgate slash Summit for $500 million. Behind the Lines Productions, the company behind the Twilight parody called Twi Harder, has filed a $500 million suit against the makers of the Twilight films and a 219-page complaint obtained by EW. The Paradise write that they were planning to release the, fir- the film last fall, around the same time the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2 hit theaters, but after Summit and Lionsgate sent out a cease and desist letter, the plaintiffs claim potential distributors grew skittish about risking the larger studio's ire. Even though Behind the Lines says its parody falls under the terms of the Fair Use Doctrine, which protects independent filmmakers, parodists, and other countercultural artists who create separate and derivative works that may be related to, inspired by, or comment upon the pop culture events that dominate the national cineplex and, by extension, the attitudes, perspectives, and behaviors of the pop, pop populace. These guys need to here is, the right here short how, Here's how filmmaking has gone wrong. Because it flashed back to the 80s, people. Remember Spaceballs? I'm not, <laughs> exactly. saying it, I, I'm not saying it was a wonderful film, but everyone understood, hey, you have arrived if your franchise gets a full feature-length film parody and that people actually go to see it. Agreed. And, and Twilight had arrived. I mean, as far as the popular vote was concerned. Yep. Why, why would the studio stop this? It was like free, free marketing. Okay, I want to circle back around to this. I have one more article. Uh, help save podcasting. Uh, Daniel Nazer over at uh, 
the EFF.org says, A couple of months ago, we wrote about that podcasting was under threat from a patent troll. At the same time, a patent troll named Personal Audio LLC had sued three podcasters and sent demand letters to a number of others. Since then, Personal Audio has filed two new lawsuits, this time against CBS and NBC. It has also sent additional demand letters to small podcasting operations. We've written often in the past about how patent trolls are a drain on innovation, and this latest troll is no exception. Since many podcasters barely make a profit or simply do it for love, a shakedown from a patent troll threatens to shut down their program. The, all three of these articles have one common theme here. What is it, Joe? Copyright infringement. Copyright and patent infringement. In, 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 in what it says to me, what it spells to me, and there's so many more examples. These are just three examples. Of course, podcasting being near and dear to my heart, and, and obviously you're listening to a podcast. Um, the, but our, our copyright and our patent system is so broken. It just needs to go away, and the, the sad thing is it, it's not. It's never going to. And this situation is just going to continue to spiral downward. It's, it's insane. Uh, l- l- let me kind of break this down for you. Um, we have a couple of podcasts here at Movie Byte, right, Joe? So <laughs> they're nothing more than audio broadcasts. Uh, we're broadcasting this one live, and we record that as we broadcast it. I edit the show in Logic. I add music. I fix mistakes if there are any. There usually aren't, or there are none that I care to fix. And then I will bounce the, the, the mix to hard disk. I compress the audio to MP3. I upload that MP3 to MovieByte CMS and the Amazon S3 account that is our CDN. Uh, publish it through the MovieByte CMS, and there is a feed that feeds to iTunes and Podcatchers. What part of that system are they trying to claim patent over? I don't understand. <laughs> How do you patent something like that? Yeah, it's people talking. It's pretty bad. It'd be it's it's just up there with you know. Hey, you know what? I, I patent, you know, televisions or something. I'm going to patent the color of the walls in my house. And anybody who cut, paints their walls that color, I'm going to sue their pants off. That, that, that's essentially the same thing. Yeah, boom. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's essentially what they're, that's what they're doing. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Our, our copyright and our patent system is completely broken here in the U.S. And I know it is in many other nations in the world as well, but the U.S. is particularly bad. Hmm. There, there's some sort of idea – you know, I'm not, I'm not for digital theft, okay, or if you can call it that. I'm not for pirating. I, I, I don't encourage that sort of thing. But it is not – you cannot equate it to walking into a store and stealing something because uh, what happens – No, 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 no. The, the thing is is that we've lost track of the public domain. That's true too. That, the, or what do you call? Um, they actually used that in their argument. The studio that created the parody, basically, the liberty to create uh, parodies just means that you're you're actually creating an original entity. You're not you're not actually ripping anyone off, right? You haven't taken the same goods and repurposed them for free and without permission. Everything that they've done in a parody is original. Somebody wrote a script. They hired a director. They filmed it with an original cast. None of this is piracy. None of this is... uh, And if you want to stretch it, then the reasoning is that they've they've created a... they They have an intellectual property and that that was what they stole. But I, 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 I don't agree with that. I don't even know that I agree with the concept of intellectual property. I don't. I don't agree with it at all, man. 
Yeah. It, it's a horrible idea. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Like you can own ideas? What the heck is that? That's that's nuts. I understand why it happened. I understand it served a purpose once upon a time. It was actually good for the market for different reasons, but we're getting to the point that intellectual property usually just it's bad news, usually. Oh, always. I've not now. I have not seen a case yet in in the modern times in the digital age where intellectual property was a good thing. I've never seen that it was a good thing. It's always stifling innovation. It's always creating opportunities for trolls. It's it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. So I'm on a soapbox about this. So uh, it, it it it's completely broken, completely broken. Needs needs to just go away. I highly recommend. Uh, let me see if I can find the links. I highly recommend episodes 67 and 68 of John Syracuse's uh, Now Ended Hypercritical. Uh, he doesn't do that show anymore, but those episodes are all still over on 5x5.tv, and uh, I will put the links to those in the show notes. Uh, highly recommended. Um, episode 67 is called A Pill That Helps With Whatever, uh, and episode 68 <laughs> is called Patent Hands, and they're both about copyright and patent infringement and uh, John Syracuse getting sad about the state of copyright and patent systems. And w- while we're thinking about things to recommend on that topic, I would also recommend the um, the online web series called Everything is a Remix. And you can find it on Vimeo. Just do a quick search for Everything is a Remix and watch the four parts. And they'll explain things pretty well. It, it gets into the philosophy behind them. And the explanation for why we ever introduced copyrights in the first place and I believe that there was a, base, a good basis for it. We've just lost sight of it. Can you iMessage me the link to what you're talking about? Okay. And I will get it in the show notes for our dear listeners. All right. Uh, while you're doing that, are we ready to talk about, just for a second, World War Z? Yeah, you go ahead. Okay, so World War Z. I guess, you know, I appear to be the only person in the world who didn't know anything about World War Z and was completely confused by the trailers. I had no idea what was going on when I saw the first trailer, and I had no idea what in the world I was seeing or what the film was about, even after having watched a trailer more than once. And only by finally – because I was in the theater most of the time when I saw the trailer or I was in a hurry if I saw it on YouTube at home or whatever. And so finally, one morning as I was getting prepping posts for Movie Bite, I – I said, you know what, I need to look up more about this film, and I did a quick Google search, and I found a Wikipedia article that talked about World War Z being about zombies. And then I rewatched the trailer, and yeah, okay, I can finally see, oh, okay, I can see over there in the background, I guess those are zombies. Yeah, okay, I, I kind of get what's going on now. Did how yeah. did, did you get that at all from this trailer? Did you already no. know what it was going in? No. You couldn't tell it was about zombies? Their brand of zombies is about as akin to zombies as vampires are in I Am Legend with Will Smith. They don't even show any vampires. zombies. Like, like you see them from a distance, and you can once you know they're there, then you may be able to spot them possibly. But I, I, I was so confused, and, and people in the comments are saying, well, oh, you know. Their brand of zombies, is it's just like they've used that word, but it actually isn't zombies as anyone knows them. Um. The, what they do, how they come about, it's all very different. It's not The Walking Dead. It's uh, it, they, it's like they didn't want to come up with a, another creative original name category for them, so they just called them zombies. Yeah, I guess. Ready. The president is dead. See, like, now that I know they're zombies, I can see that must be what those, that big group of humans are that are climbing over each other. That must be what that is. But before that, I was just like, what's going on? What are they trying to escape from? Maybe it's my unfamiliarity with the zombie genre. I don't know. I've certainly been a little bit 
uh, received a little bit of uh, berating for not knowing, but I, you know. <laughs> Ter- Terry Smith says, "Dude, zombies are the hottest thing since the Slinky. They were, uh, uh, they were a hum, The Walking Dead, whatever. I don't know what he's trying to say, but <laughs> <laughs> I, he must have meant a hum, not a hum. Oh, that's my, that's it. They were a hum, The Walking Dead. Uh, anyway." Um, I wouldn't have said since slinkies. I would have said since vampires, <laughs> since teenage vampires that that are dazzlingly, brilliantly bright in the sunlight. Yeah. So anyway, uh, World War Z, the TV spot and the full trailer are in the show notes. If you want to check it out, I have heard good things. Like like despite the the how I feel how bad I feel the trailer is, I'm hearing good things about the film. To me, it looks like it's Brad Pitt's equivalent to Tom Cruise's. Um, what was it called? War of the Worlds. Mm, I haven't seen that, so. You should. Okay. You like a good sci-fi. Right? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Okay. Yeah, see it. Okay. Did you ever watch the original? No. What? Nope. You uncultured person. I am so uncultured. I'm sorry. It's, it's your mission in life. It's your mission in life to culture me, but you're leaving the podcast. How's that going to work? Uh, I'll, I'll be around. Okay. Well, I mean, you got my phone number. You have my yes. iMessage. Anytime I need email to call address. you and educate you, I will. <laughs> All right. Shall we talk about the two films that we would like to talk about today now that we're like, what, almost 50 minutes into this podcast? Are we already? Uh, wow. No, almost. Yeah, almost 50. We're, wow. we're 47 minutes in, I believe. Well, yeah. if you're still listening to this, you're amazing. Yeah. Well, we had a lot to talk about since we've been off the air for a week. Oh, that's true. So we now, don't usually have to spend that much time on the uh, pre-show stuff. Yeah, that's or true. Pre-review stuff. No. So well, now, now you, you see, see me. me. That, yeah. uh, perfect timing. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a premonition. Okay. <laughs> I, so, now I'm going to lull you into a sleep and I'm going to talk for the rest of the time. You're going to be hypnotized. You're going to be sitting there in your chair and I'll eventually say, and we're done. And uh, you'll come back and think we recorded the show together. Simple as that. Straightforward hypnotism stuff. Easy stuff to do. And much to my chagrin, I have not had time to review, write long-form articles on Movie Byte. Uh, and I, I, uh, I, I got Chad Hopkins to help us out. He's a fan of the show, fan of the site, uh, has his own you know, movie site. But he said, hey, I'd, you know, I'd love to get in front of your uh, small little audience. And so he wrote the review of Now You See Me. Uh, now, what did he me. think? He gave it four out of five stars. He was a little more generous to it than I'm going to be. Oh. Uh, he liked it quite a bit. Um, and, uh, uh-huh. Oh, okay. I thought I would just read his, uh, summation of the plot real quick. Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrelson, Isla Fisher, and Dave Franco star as four magicians of varying abilities who work alone. As we are introduced to each magician performing his, her solo act, we notice a hooded figure in attendance at each performer's show. Soon the four are brought together, each having received a card from his own person telling them to show up at an apartment from this unknown person, I'm sorry, telling them to show up at an apartment where the performers are given blueprints and instructions to a grand master plan that involves bank robbery through the art of deception. They form a group and call themselves the Four Horsemen, and through the sponsorship of insurance businessman Arthur Tressler, Michael Kane, they give a performance a year later in Las Vegas where they seemingly rob a bank in Paris using their talents. The FBI gets involved, and Dylan Rhodes, Mark Ruffalo, on the case, as well as French Interpol agent Alma Vargas, don't know, I don't remember how to say that, and she's played by Melanie Laurent, Laurent. 
They ask for help from Thaddeus Bradley, who is played by Morgan Freeman, an ex-magician who exposes magician secrets for a living, something you're, by the way, never supposed to do, leading to several intriguing explanations behind some of the magic tricks performed. So that is his summation of the plot. I didn't actually think the film did much to explain the magic tricks. No, I didn't either. And it and, explained why the magic tricks were done. Um, yeah, and, but, and, and yeah. like I think the most explained one was the bank robbery because I knew that I think they knew they couldn't get away with just having that in the film without explaining it. <laughs> well, the theory behind how it could have been done, but they don't actually prove that the theory was ever right. Oh no, they did. I thought they did. I thought they did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. I do. I, because I, they showed the the chamber underneath the stage, or what? Yeah, no, they showed how it worked. I mean, they they showed it all going down. So, um, I huh. I was I was certainly convinced in my viewing that the, that it went down the way they said. Oh, okay. Now, and and so this it did. You know, one of the questions I had going into this film was: Is this a actual magic film? Like there are illusionists that discover how to use real magic, and it's some sort of fantasy, or is this all illusion? And it's purportedly, it's supposed to be, according, you know, they don't use actual magic. It's supposed to be all illusion. And yet, some of the things in this film really stretched believability. Like, there's floating in a bubble. What? Haven't you, have you watched any magic shows in the last 10 years or so? No, probably not. Hey, they, they do crazy stuff like that these days. Okay. Well, yeah. It all looked, I've, it, I've seen some crazy stuff in magic shows. It looked like it, CGI it, to me. Oh yeah, the movie it was. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, when the well, yeah, because the floating bubble goes what all the way up to the second story and right. it floats over the balcony and then it pops and the girl lands in the arms of the guy who was standing on the stage <sighs> ten seconds before. Yeah. Well, like, all I have to say, play- Joe, is if you're saying that this can actually happen, all I have to say to that is YouTube or it didn't happen. <laughs> yes, it's YouTube magic for you. So, so give me a YouTube link proving that this sort of thing is possible. Otherwise, I will continue to believe that this is absolute nonsense that they put. Well, in, this film. in real life, Thaddeus Bradley isn't real. He's the real magic, the naysayer. Yeah, the person who figures out all the magic and tells us what really happened. Though I have heard that there have been several magicians that made their careers off of telling the world their secrets, and yeah. I'm disappointed in those. Yeah, it happens, but it's I certainly, prefer not yeah. to know how it was done. Though I understand why a lot of people got to know. It's just you know. Although I will say, I will say there is a guy who kind of does that. Like he he teaches people how to do magic, and he'll be up on stage and he'll be he'll be explaining to you how this trick works, and then all of a sudden the trick is not what you thought, and he was giving you a totally bogus explanation, and it's something that you didn't see coming, and you have no idea how how he did it. So that's actually kind of cool to do something like that. But to actually give away magician secrets, that's kind of a a, a word that I will not use on the on the show move. Yeah. And surprisingly, this movie actually doesn't really reveal anybody's secrets. Not not really. Um you're right about the one thing, the bank robbery, they show how it could have happened and probably happened. I th- but, I say they show how it did happen, but um well, they never officially described or show how the uh, the the guy escaped from the car that was uh, that explodes on the bridge, but they again they suggest how it could have happened, um, very very cleverly so, and right. you're See, convinced again, that that's probably the way it happened. But hmm. they don't, they just tell you that it's a very strong theory, and I, I appreciated that about it. Okay, I I, I disagree again, but I, I felt the same way. I felt huh. like they were showing you what actually happened. Now, do you remember the card on the inside of the tree in, uh, what was it, um, the park in New York City? Of course. This is a part, yeah. it was part, part of the primary plot. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, do you re- do you know if that card is actually in that tree? Does that actually exist, or was that made up too? I have no idea. Because if that's really there, that would be really cool. It, it would it, be. It sure. would actually probably be the one thing that's true about the entire story. <laughs> See, it's and, unfortunate that, that we don't have a big you know audience that listens live, or I could say to the chat room, go and Google for me. La- lazy, lazy web, lazy Twitter. <laughs> right. Uh but, but anyway. yeah, well, you know, back to the characters and stuff, uh, you, you got an all in all negative impression of the film, even while you were watching it. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Like I enjoyed the film. I certainly enjoyed the visual style. Um, uh, you just don't think it deserves a high rating because, because uh, what? it just, well, okay. I guess we can talk about the dislikes now. Okay. Uh, Michael Caine, as I wrote in my little notes here. Evanesco, if you're familiar with Harry Potter, you'll know what that means. Evanesco, Michael Caine disapparates in, in the second half of the film. Where did he go? What happened? I mean, come on. Where, man, where, why did he just disappear from the film? Well, he didn't, he didn't come into the film very early. He, he was kind of introduced after the rest of the main characters. He might be a big star, but he wasn't a main character. Yeah. Um, as I already mentioned, here's another one of my notes. Some of the magic really stretches the believability these are supposed to be illusionists, and yet they're floating around in bubbles and whatnot. This well, way- you liked the illusionists, though, didn't you? No, I've never seen it. Oh, really? Nope. A lot of people like that movie because they they appreciate how fantastic it is. When I say fantastic, I mean in the the magical Disney sense, like you'll believe in magic. You know, it's like, oh, come on, people. And that movie didn't deserve to be so highly rated. The Prestige is where it's at because it it goes back to sci-fi, explaining how things could be accomplished in a you know, faux scientific sort of way. And what I liked about this film is that though they do some outlandish things, you know, jumping off buildings and suddenly disappearing and turning into money that trickles down to the people. And yeah, again, it, it's like, CGI. It's like super elaborate. Yeah, and obviously the film was accomplished with CGI and special effects wizardry. But in reality, it probably couldn't be done. Yet, they don't actually bother to explain how it was done. They just make it clear that it was probably all illusion. And as long as they didn't actually try to address how this was actually done, see, this is how we created the bubble. And this is how she's suddenly weightless. You know, I was, I was okay with it. Um, I I appreciated that they tried to um, get away with it in the same sense that real magicians in the real world do. You'll just see this and you won't know how it works. And then when it's over, you're going to be happy that you saw something really bizarre that you don't understand. Um, yes, but at the same yeah. time, um, in a film, unless – like if they would have started the film with some text or some something that said every trick you see in this film can be done in the real world, that would have been one thing. But the, but <laughs> that would have been a, a lie. <laughs> but in a film – see, that's my point. In a film, you, you – it's it, it looks so fanciful that it is fanciful. It, it's not real. And in a film where things are supposed to be real and about illusion, it doesn't work for me. Did did it bother you when they had those uh, cards? The, the magicians were giving uh, cards and that told them to meet together, and uh, they were over the top. They looked like something belonging to the occult, and they were you know saying, "Go here, meet there." you'll be told what you should do kind of things in the movie. Yeah. And those cards did some ridiculous things themselves that looked like CGI. They toss them about and they go zing and all of a sudden they all meld together. 
and then zing, they unmeld together yeah, and stuff nuts. like that. That's, it, that's yeah, the sort it, of thing it, I'm talking it's about. In your face, big up on the center screen, in the foreground, it, they just all of a sudden, gravity doesn't matter anymore. These cards produce their own source of light. It was it was weird. The, I didn't like it when they introduced that level of ridiculousness. Well, that that's exactly the sort of thing I'm talking about, man. Okay, it's because I nuts. thought you were talking about the actual magic shows. Because well, that, 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 that's part of it. That's all part of it. Anything in this film that's not actually possible, that's it's it doesn't work because the well, film is supposed to be a, a real to life film, and in, in in the way that like the magic tricks are supposed to be real, mad, you know, real illusion. Okay, that's that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. Mm. You know, I guess the, I would kind of let I give him a little bit more slack because. It's sort of like the uh, what do you call it the uh, the license to be creative in filmmaking and and, and introduce some stylization. Sure. If, if you think about the Great Gatsby, they do a lot of things that are obviously very sensational um, filmmaking tricks to produce a very elaborate stylizations, um, and it gives the film a great sense of gravitas and over the top. Uh, grandioseness that was very appropriate to the story and uh not stuff that were necessary and not things that are very realistic but very imaginative and okay because but as, they did that you don't look at that and say well that's not authentic to the 1920s it was just entertainment right it was it was just trying to dazzle your eyes to make the point that this film was about a bunch of people that lived larger than life did you listen to the episode where Alex and I talked about The Great Gatsby? Yes. Because you're, you're describing some of the problems I had with the film. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing is I, I like that stuff yeah, for, I guess, almost the same reasons that you dislike that stuff. Well, you should have been on the podcast. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay, so, so let, let's, let's clarify something. If uh, Isla Fisher had put on a Superman cape or a Supergirl cape, I guess, and, and flew around a building or something, really flew, would that have bothered you? No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yes, that would have bothered me because okay, this so, wasn't a superhero film. So we agree that there's limits here. And apparently they're just not over your line. They're crossing over mine. Yes. Well, there are lines, TJ, and you're okay <laughs> with warp drives and phasers. Yes, and but that's a film that's not phase. supposed to be real to life. That's fantasy. <laughs> this film is a different genre. Well, wait a minute. The film doesn't say it's supposed to be done in the real world. It, it, it looks like it's set in modern they times. They were certainly giving us that impression. Yes, you're right. That, so, but it was so also okay, very, so if it's not supposed to be, if it's not supposed to be real to life, if it's supposed to be a fantasy genre, the film still fails because they failed to, to communicate that properly. I I guess, but then you're <laughs> going to say that the Prestige failed because in the Prestige, they have Tesla help a magician pull off something very sci-fi oriented in the real world in a historical context involving historical people like tesla and you're gonna say well it sounds like a historical fantasy i've not seen the prestige but it sounds oh, like historical awesome. fantasy it's an awesome christopher nolan film it's i know i know it's on my list you kill me man every day you don't watch every film that i have seen it, it hurts <laughs> there are films i've watched that you haven't seen so um <laughs> Okay, so so the whole the whole concept of uh, Woody Harrelson's character uh, Merritt McKinney doing this uh, what what did they call it um, of the mind like hypnotizing people and telling them what they would remember and what they wouldn't remember yeah, and what to do yeah yeah that's nuts that's nuts no no dude 
you need to look that stuff up. It's I've, actually I've, I've looked all that stuff up. The the only okay, I, I I'm gonna say something that's a little bit crazy. I believe the only way that stuff works is through occultic power. Um. Okay, I, I mean, I have no comment to that because I, I don't know that we officially know one way or the other. But I understand yeah. why you would think that. Yeah. I, I, no, you, you can't. You can't walk up to somebody and snap your fingers and 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 you know make them believe whatever it is that you want them to believe. That's just, no. Fair enough. So, I hear you. Okay. I, I I don't agree, but I don't. I can't say that I know anything for certain on, on the matter. But again, don't you feel like if uh, they did that, that was just. Uh, movie magic then it was sort of like the the magic of the make-believe of it that they in this world this is plausible and can be done and, and there's a scientific method for it um well except for that last part where there's a scientific method for it yes um well that's true that's what they so were trying to do for sure scientific method for deep space warp drives i mean come on but again different genre different films Whatever, dude. Okay. I mean, the, Suddenly, the, this okay. film is Ar- using a lot of many genres. Argue though. with this it's one. A, it's a mystery story. It's a thriller. It's set in modern times in a dramatic sort of way. It's just a colla- It's a it's a compilation of different elements of different genres, so that the directors could make the kind of entertaining story that they wanted to. Does that? I'm not. I'm not representing it very well. Apparently not. You're not convincing me. Okay. Back to to basics here. A lot of movies now are mashing up the genres. They're not trying to stay within genre conventionalities because, let's face it, everybody has seen most every way that the, the conventional Western can be told. Therefore, the filmmakers try to make something new by incorporating a more modernistic um, genre qualities postmodernistic ideas to a classic Western and you come up with something like Russell Crowe and Christian Bale in the new version of 310 to Yuma where it's a new spin on the other, the original story, the original film, and it's not the same or Firefly or, or Firefly. There you go. Or, uh, and, and, okay. Uh, but I don't Cowboys mind. Aliens. I don't mind that. I've not seen Cowboys and aliens. I have it. It's on my list. To I'm watch. not recommending it. I'm just saying that um, that's an example where they really wanted to mash it up. But I don't mind that in general. I don't mind. It's not genre mashups that I have a problem with. It's the communication of what they're trying to, to communicate in the film. Oh, okay. 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 Let, let's move on because we're, we're arguing like an old married couple. Um, <laughs> we've been together too long, Joe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, suddenly towards the end of the film, one of the illusionists becomes a master of hand-to-hand combat against an FBI agent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tell me you didn't, tell me you, tell me you didn't. You, I was disappointed in that because yes. I was looking for an explanation to that. Like, oh, he's actually the mastermind behind all of this. And he's actually like a crime fighter or something, like a superhero. He's his own wannabe Bruce Wayne. That but is, no, that is a great segue. That. Great segue into my primary problem with this film. And again, I'm, I'm talking about all the negatives now. I, I I like the film more than I'm letting on. But but I felt like the end was so nonsensical. And you get to the end and it's such a letdown when the entire time – okay, here we go. Spoiler alert. I wish I had my soundboard up, but I don't. Uh, spoiler alert. You're about to be spoiled. If you haven't seen the film, stop listening now. Come back in like 60 seconds. Okay, so at the end of the film – it's everything like you 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 think there's some going to be some grand explanation for how they're able to pull it off and it turns out that they've had a guy on the inside and the FBI masterminding this thing the whole time such a letdown so dumb <laughs> no it, so it's nonsensical always, too aren't the simple explanations the 
um, satisfying ones? Oh, not if they don't make sense. Oh, well, not I if mean, they're dumb. Well, well, now they're, we're getting into semantics here because when Darth Vader says, Luke, I'm your father, it seems pretty ridiculous when you think about it. No, it doesn't. What are the pl- what's the plausibility that Darth Vader is Luke's father? It's very low. But then on the other hand, you really love it because it's so compelling Though it really doesn't make any sense, the the okay. the way in which it compels you I can buy that. far outweighs the nonsensibility. And and so yet, so if this had been compelling, okay, fine. Yeah, there you go. I but I'll it's agree not. with you. It's not compelling, but I I still think it it's actually relatively plausible to the rest of the story, and I appreciated yeah. that it there was some. It, it, sense to it all. It just like so there was happens a reason for the rest of the story. It just so happens they pull this guy, the mastermind, off the case that he was on and onto this case. It just so happens that they do that, and that it, no, the whole thing was just dumb. <laughs> the, well, I'll give you this: the film uses a lot of the very the very same kind of trickery that magicians use for their kinds of magic shows. Things that are really, you know, corny or dumb. But while you, if a magician is doing his job right, when it's all said and done, you're going to appreciate that you were fooled very well. But, you know, do all magicians meet that mark? No. Some of them do. Most of them don't. And, and that's, that's the struggle we're facing with this film. If it's all said and done and you walk away feeling cheated because they didn't make it a very compelling magic show then i i get you there all things considered though i i enjoyed it um and i actually don't have all that many dislikes let me see here you pointed out you didn't like the way they included and um let down the role for michael kane yep i've already talked about them all the magic is a stretch um suddenly toward the end of the film you don't like the the reveal you don't like how they explain the the mystery behind all the magic. Nope. Thirdly, you don't like the nonsensical nature in general. Okay. For that. Fourthly, fourthly, you don't like the, the nonsensical nature. Okay. I just, wanted, I just wanted to make, I wanted to make sure I had your list correct in my mind. Cause you're about to refute it all. Great. Because I'm about to refute all of them. I thought we, that's not what we just did. We just went back and forth <laughs> about all this. Yeah. But just for the record, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I don't agree with any of that. Um, and, and the reason being, I understand that some of these things are preposterous, but in the end, this was compelling. This was very fun. That's, you know, when you watch Toy Story, the original Toy Story, and you're sitting there as a 10-year-old child back in 1995, and you're watching toys come to life in a CG environment, and they're doing all these ridiculous things, and they live for no apparent reason, you don't ask yourself, hey, is this believable? Because that that will ruin everything. Why? Why? You have no imagination if you do that. You you don't believe in the the neighborhood of make believe. You know, all of a sudden you've just ruined the ride. That's what entertainment will do. They will take liberties and they will take as many of them as they think they can to amplify a compelling story for entertainment's sake. So as long as the the story is highly entertaining and very compelling, very imaginative and something you really dig as long as you're watching it, then it works. And uh, for all the nonsensical stuff, 
I was satisfied. Um, as far as likes, then, I will say, <sighs> I like anything with Jesse Eisenberg. Um, Rio, really silly parrot CGI animated family film. Really, really a, a disappointment. It's getting a sequel, though. So I'll probably watch it because the starring voice talent is Jesse Eisenberg. I like his talent. He, he's a good one. And, and even so, he's not the main character. Who's the main character? Mark, Mark Ruffalo is playing the detective. And I love Mark Ruffalo. He's, he's pretty good. The, he is the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> and the Incredible Hulk is now a magician. And he's a, he's a crime fighter. And he is a he, whatever in between. This, and he's a mad scientist. He's everything. Mark Ruffalo is amazing. And he, uh, he uh, gets married to a girl who is Reese Witherspoon in, uh, what is it called, um, uh, Just Like Heaven, that he uh, fell in love with in the afterlife. I mean, this guy, Mark Ruffalo, can sell you on some preposterous um, storylines. He was good. There's no doubt about it. You know who else yeah. I enjoyed is um, Melanie Lar- Laurent. Uh, the um, Ray. Yeah. She was the uh, French uh, uh, Interpol agent. I really, she was good. She was really good. She was good, and I. Uh, one of my disappointments would be that they didn't use her very well in the second half of the story. But yes, the character and her setup was very nice. And that, you know what? I just loved her accent. It was awesome. I felt that the story, the story's climax, ended with the wrong characters. Um, that was one of my larger disappointments. That you, you were just with, refuting uh, me for for having a problem with the ending. Um, for I, I I refute your reasons. Thaddeus Bradley, okay. played by Morgan Freeman, is locked up in a in prison, and all of a sudden it feels like you don't know what you're supposed to think. Are you supposed to be sympathizing for him? Are you supposed to believe he's really the bad guy? I don't know. No, I was mad because he was obviously not a bad guy, and he did nothing wrong. <sighs> yeah. But does isn't that the way? Well, never mind. Well, uh, let me just explain one thing, though. It's in my opinion that thrillers and movies about magicians often try to make it out that the one who is the most competitive and the best at his trickery is the good guy. And the person who is, yes, competitive, but not as, as good at his magic is the bad guy. And it seems like a very uh, shallow convention to the genre, but that's often the case. Um, the guy who cuts more corners, which is Thaddeus Bradley in this story, and the person who's more inclined to go mm. after the money I don't know is I'd, the bad guy. Yeah, I don't know if I'd agree with that, that he cuts corners and stuff. I liked him. I liked his character. Well, then, what's his name? Um, Dylan, the detective by Mark Ruffalo. Uh-huh. He explains for his moral reasons why he was out to get people like Thaddeus um, at yeah, the end of the film. Didn't buy and it. it's didn't, all very el- elaborate. Didn't buy yeah. it. Well, well anyway, yeah. I, I mean, I've talked enough negativity about this film because I did. I do give it three and a half out of five stars. So, you know, I, I loved loved the uh, visual design of the film. It was it was amazing. Minus know? the CGI, which was obvious. Uh, well, see, that's the thing, though. I didn't, even though I knew that it was CGI when she was, for instance, floating in the bubble. I felt like it was well done, and I didn't yes. notice much CGI in the film. Like where the CGI was there, it was it it, it did its job. So I can give it that. Like, man, it, it was it, it was a well designed film, well done film in in that way. 
you know, and, and, and like you said, in many ways, this film is just a lot of fun. And, and to some extent, you just got to say, okay, suspend my disbelief, and here we go. It's a fun trip. Uh, you know, so I, I certainly think the film is worth watching. Don't don't get me wrong. I've done a lot of complaining about it, but, you know. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a difficult one. I understand your conflict. Um, and even so, you're giving it a better rating than the way it sounds. I mean, I understand you're saying you actually like it for its entertainment value. Yeah. But it, it, when it comes down to the, the details... You just cannot, yeah, you give it in a good conscience a higher star yeah, rating. Well, I mean, despite the complaints I had with, say, Iron Man 3, which I rated four or five stars, I still still rated it four or five stars. And we, we've just talked about that a few, you know, uh, 20 minutes ago or so, and we talked about how Iron Man 3 should have ended. So, you know, I I don't have to get, you know, not every little detail has to be in the right place in order for me to enjoy a film. We kind of talked about this on our Star Trek Into Darkness episode. Where though the the film, especially as you're driving away from the theater, you start thinking about all the logical inconsistencies. It's still one of those great films that you're going to see yeah. again and again. You know what it reminds me of? Um, in that way about it, it reminds me of National Treasure Part One. Great film. Second yeah. one was terrible. <laughs> yeah, but the first film is one of those where it, uh, depending on how you look at it, it's actually not as interesting as you might have thought the first time you watched it. The first time you watched it, it was incredible. You're like, whoa, I've never seen anything like this. Not, not in theaters, anyway. You, you've read about crazy things happening in the news or on the History Channel, but you've never seen an actually interesting film that takes place in large part in Washington, D.C. Um, and then the film does that. And you're like, wow, they made that interesting. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it actually is a very simple story. And like so many movies, it's in large part based on the premise of a chase bad guys chasing good guys good guys trying to protect valuable objects that matter to we the people and that's what a lot of movies are about they're about a chase the good guys trying to catch the bad guys the bad guys trying to kill the good guys a lot of movies use that particular convention and uh it just seems kind of shallow for that reason and, and so when you stand back and you watch it in multiple viewings are like, Hey, they borrowed that from Indiana Jones. And Hey, that's, that's, that's just Nicholas cage. He's acting like Nicholas cage. Yeah. He's trying to, he's trying like this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you get my point, right? Yeah. Like you really enjoy it, but then you actually pay attention to the details and it doesn't add up. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it. So I really can't speak to that. So as far as enjoying a movie is concerned, I think that I enjoyed both of those films, National Treasure and Now You See Me, well enough to give them four stars. So you're, you're giving this film four solid stars out of five. Yeah. Me and Chad are giving each other a virtual high five right now. Yeah. So there you go, Chad. Your buddy here, Joe, he's, he's, yep. uh, he likes the film just as much as you. And that's okay. That's, that's y'all's right to do. And I, I, Chad, I gave you the review of the film on Movie Bite. You're welcome to that opinion. Did you see the movie with anyone else? Me? No. Yeah, see, the person I was watching it with, we had a good time trying to figure out the mystery while the movie was unfolding. Oh, sure, I did too. I was just, yeah. I was, and but but the reveal of the mystery was what killed it for me. I noticed that I I tend to enjoy movies more if I'm watching them with someone else. Just just uh, 
the yeah. way it happens. You know, for me, it doesn't make too much difference. In fact, it's a, if the theater is too crowded, whether I'm with somebody or not, uh, you know, or whether there's more people there, sometimes it's more of a distraction and a hindrance than anything. Especially like, I, I, even though I liked Iron Man 3, I was so distracted by the audience clapping and cheering where they, sometimes where they shouldn't have and, and, and just trying to get them to shut up and be quiet, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I give the film three and a half out of five stars. And you know what? It's worth seeing despite the issues. It has a great visual style. It was a fun film. Uh, superb acting, you know, no doubt. Uh, had a oh man, look, we didn't read off the cast list. Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Ruffalo, Woody Harrelson, Isla Fisher, Dave Franco, Melanie Laurent, uh, Laurent, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, Michael Kelly from House of Cards. I mean, it's great, great cast. So the acting was top notch, no doubt. Yes. All right, we, should, we need to move on to After Earth. So if you have anything left to say about this film, you better do it now. Um, it was cool, and I'm done. All right. Uh, what just happened to my outline? Nothing. Like stuff I, disappeared. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. So after Earth, um, critics hate this film, Joe. Critics Can I introduce hate it for you? this film. Why don't you go ahead? Let me see here. Do we have a synopsis to read from? I, Let me see what it, they have on Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia, come to me now. After Earth is a 2013 American sci-fi adventure drama film directed by M. Night Shyamalan that he co-wrote with Gary Witta based on an original story by Will Smith, original story idea by Will Smith, about a military father and son crash landing on Earth 1,000 years after cataclysmic events forced humanity to abandon planet Earth for a new home planet. The teenage son must save his dying father by trekking alone across the hostile terrain, encountering highly evolved creatures and a ruthless alien beast along the way to recover their rescue beacon and also prove that he can live up to his father's reputation as a legendary soldier. It is in the second... uh, No, no, this is the second film... What? Okay, this is the second film that Will Smith has starred in with his son. Uh, the first one being The Pursuit of Happiness. Mm-hmm. His son, Jaden Smith. And um, let's see here. Will Smith also produced the, this film via the Overbrook Entertainment Company, and it was distributed by Columbia Pictures. The film is available in IMAX and is the first film from Sony Pictures to be both shot and presented in 4K resolution. All right, that's all. Well, okay. So we've already, as I already mentioned, the, the critics really hate this film. Uh, yeah, it opened, the, the, that that description makes the film sound a little bit cooler than it actually is. Yeah, maybe. I, I I'd even agree with you, even though I think the critics are way off base on this. Um, I, I would agree with you. The description makes it sound a little more cool than it is. It had a budget of 130 million. It opened to 27.5 million. That's wow! It's just that is such a flop. It's like Ouch. what happened? Uh, and it's only total Ooh. worldwide gross right now, as of right now, ninety five point nine million is all the film has made, and that's that's worldwide. Like domestically, it's only made forty eight, and, and that's on a budget of one hundred and thirty, and that doesn't take into account the marketing they've done to, for this thing. 
So it's it's boy, they, you know, and, you know, I've heard some good explanations for why this film may be failing at the box office. One is and, and here's the thing. I don't know a lot about Scientology, but I know that Will Smith is a, into that sort of thing. And apparently there are oh, things really? in like this Tom film. Like Tom Cruise. Yes. And apparently there are things in this film that allude to Scientology. I guess volcanoes play a big part in Scientology. Facing your fears and living down your fears. So um, it's basically an allegory for their religion. Uh, apparently, but I hadn't I d- thought about. But that. I didn't get any of that. Like I felt like it's not obvious. Yeah, no, it's not. Not at all. And, and here's the. And thing. I, I actually thought that it was more in keeping with M Night Shyamalan's worldview, because uh, of his film The Happening, where basically Earth revolts against mankind. Mankind, mankind is evil for hurting nature. Blah blah blah. Eh, dumb idea. And uh, it was M Night's worst film. One could say. Which, which one was that? The Happening. You don't think with, The Last Airbender was the worst? I didn't see it. I didn't either, but I've heard that it is his worst yeah. film ever. Really? Let me, let me look it up real quick. Oh. Um, but that one also starred Jaden Smith, didn't it? Not that I know of. Oh, it had a little boy in it. Rotten That's Bell. all I remember. Okay, here we go. Um, didn't it have um, Liam Neeson playing Zeus or something? The Last Airbender? Uh, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm rotten tomatoes is being really slow. It's been fast all night. Okay. The last airbender garnered a 6% from critics and a 42% from audiences on, uh, on rotten tomatoes. Uh, no, you've got the completely wrong film. I don't recognize any of the cast. Noah Ringer, Nicola Peltz, Dave Patel, Dev Patel, Jackson Rathbone. I do recognize that name. Who is that? I think he's in a twilight film or one, okay. or, one or all the twilight films or something. Um, yeah, yeah he, he's, he's Jasper. Jackson Rathbone is Jasper in the Twilight films. Poor M. Knight. He's been firing a lot of blanks. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, he had some good films back in the day. Um, uh, Signs, great, great film. Uh, in fact, one of my fa- – of course, my favorite of M. Knight's and, and who's, who's is not – who's – you know, of all the M. Knight films, this has got to be anyone's favorite, right? And that's uh, um, Bruce Willis. Um, the oh, Sixth no. Sense. The Sixth Sense. Thank you. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I ha- I actually had it in my head, and then it just disappeared. I hate that when that happens. So actually, my favorite is uh, the village. Okay, but I like the Sixth Sense. It's definitely the most creative. Yeah, it's on my watch list. I've heard really good things about it. Um, eh, I know a lot of people that are bored to tears with it, but I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, the Sixth Sense uh, rates eighty five percent on the tomato meter and eighty seven on the audience side at Rotten Tomatoes. So a little bit ahead of The Last Airbender and certainly ahead of uh, After Earth. This may be the second worst rated film, After Earth, of M. Nights. Huh. Here's, here's the thing. I was listening to the Slash Filmcast, and uh, they were talking about After Earth. Uh, they did their After Earth episode before we got to it here. And uh, they were saying it didn't feel very much like an M. Night Shyamalan film. And, man, could I, I could not disagree with that more. I, I felt like this film was everything you'd expect to see in an M. Night Shyamalan film. <laughs> Would really? It's a bit on the sci-fi side of things, wouldn't well, you sure. say? In, in, it in the sci-fi, have the in the sci-fi genre, sure. Yeah. Well, in the sci-fi genre, and yet everything about it felt M. Night Shyamalan to me. I don't know. I I I, I just didn't see what they were getting at. So you you would agree with them more? I would agree with them because really, something that was very strong about the Sixth Sense, the uh, Signs movie, and the Village, and even um. Lady at the Water or Lady in the Water or whatever it was called. Uh, those movies 
uh, have a very powerful way of connecting with the main characters so that you feel like you know their heart and mind. And that was one of the things that I thought was very compelling about his characters. But the movies wouldn't have been made if it weren't for very dramatic creative twists throughout the second act and third act in those movies. And uh, obviously, The Sixth Sense, um, Signs, most definitely, these twists that no one else would have expected, but then make so much sense, and they, they make the films what they are. Uh, I don't think anybody stuck around long enough to see what the, the twists were in Lady in the Water, <laughs> but there were twists. And with this film, it lacks those. The, the connection that you wanted with the main characters, it's lacking as well. Those two characteristics, I think, stand out the most to people because, let's face it, M. Night doesn't stick to one genre. He doesn't stick to one um, form of convention or whatever. You know, Michael Bay, he's always doing some outlandish, uh, epic-scaled, glitzy action sci-fi film. That's all he can do. And every one of his films feels the same. Yep. Um, and then Christopher except, Nolan. Except for one film that I really like of his. The only film. Um, I've forgotten the name of it. The Island. The Island, yes. Thank you. Yeah, fabulous film. I have been but working even way too hard lately, a, Joe. My brain is so fried. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, it's okay. I had to think hard about that too. Anyway, but uh, yeah, it, The Island, it, it was a great example of his powers, but I think that he was not given carte blanche like he was given with his later films after Pearl Harbor, um, which was a bad thing. Yeah, so, agreed. Anyway. When he, when he was put in check, he was better off. Yeah, I, so, I think yeah, I interrupted you. Go ahead. That's okay. That's what you're here to do, right? Right. Um, but anyway, you should go on. No. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you on purpose there. <laughs> so that's that's the thing is it actually does not feel like an M, M. Night film. And I was talking about this with one of my other friends. He he made the point that he didn't even know this was an M. Night film until today when people were ranting that M. Night did such a bad job. And uh, it's because the the previews, which have not been many, have not been really pushing the point that, that this was an M night film Two, apparently his fan base has already shrunk because of films like lady in the water and the happening. We, we are already losing faith in M night. Yeah. So when well, this I think film the comes last, about, not everybody's been talking about it. The buzz isn't there. Yeah. I think the last airbender really brought people's opinion of them oh, down. Yeah. Yeah. And that one too. So yeah, he's, he, I think his career is over, unfortunately, even though I think, and, you know, I think maybe he... He may survive as a producer or something else. Something, maybe, but I think his career as a director is over. I, I think this is the the the, uh, the last shovel of dirt on the grave of his uh, career. But, you, you know, I mean, like I said, I like Sixth Sense and Signs. And, and, you know, the thing is, here's the thing. After Earth, even though I'm going to complain about it a lot here in a minute, it wasn't as bad as the critics say. By any means, I would certainly – you're talking about Michael Bay. I would certainly rather watch After Earth than any other Michael Bay film except for The Island. The Island I would rate higher than this film. But any other Michael Bay film is so much lower on the scale than this film. It's not even funny. Yeah, no kidding. So let's talk about the dislikes and then we'll circle back around to the few likes that we have. Okay. Um, uh, you know, you, you wrote here that it lacks sophisticated dialogue and I completely agree with that. And that, that – I think related note is that the weird accents, what was up with that? Like, why were they affecting these weird accents that sounded forced and strange and just didn't work at all? There were times when I couldn't even understand what they were saying. Yeah. 
And, and eventually I would figure it out because they would keep on pointing or referring to <laughs> that thing, but they would, they'd be calling it a very odd word. It is the Ursa. It's like, what, what was that? It is the Ursa. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What was that again? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I agree. Me. I agree. And then the dialogue, you're right. Yeah. Uh, it's just way too straightforward with ordinary English in a futuristic, in a futuristic setting. Um, like, did he get George Lucas to help him with a story with a screenplay or something here? Uh, I, I was really disappointed with that. Yeah, I'm just prequel prequel material here, folks, in terms of dialogue. Oh, come on, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> no, if you think about it, the acting was great, the sets were great, the pacing was great, and the intensity, uh, well, I mean, uh, in on, comparison to the dialogue. I, Joe, I didn't see the anybody popping out from behind a tree with floppy ears going, Husa are Yusa? Well, think about the dialogue. At least ways, <laughs> if you just read that off the paper, it's Husa or Yusa. That, that doesn't actually sound all that bad until it happens to be Jar Jar. <laughs> Okay, but that, <laughs> <laughs> I took you by surprise there. You I? did. You totally took me by surprise. I hadn't thought about that. You know, but I would love to see what would this film have been like if Joss Whedon had written it. Wow, because it's such a great concept, though, right? Uh, As a yeah. sci-fi film, if Joss Whedon had written this film, it would have been great. So yeah, the the the, the lack of dial the good, lack of good dialogue really brought this film down a few notches, several notches, and it had a lot of dialogue. So it did have a lot of dialogue. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Um, you know, Oblivion had very few characters, and so did this film. This film has even less, less characters than Oblivion, than Oblivion for sure. Yeah, but for all things considered, there was very little dialogue in Oblivion. But what was there usually worked. Yeah, and and, and I actually like that about Oblivion. Like it, yeah. it it didn't overwhelm you with dialogue. And what? Yeah, you're right. What was there worked well. But you know what I think ultimately the problem here is, is that this, this film seemed a little bit, you know, even though it wasn't M. Night Shyamalan film, Will Smith had a lot to do with this. It seemed a little bit like a vanity project for him in trying to get a, a, a project that would really propel his son Jaden forward. And, and that really, I think, leads me to a greater point, which is that Jaden Smith was not the right person to play this role. He didn't have the acting chops to pull it off. He was not good in this film, and he couldn't be recast because Will Smith, you know? Will Smith's pulling the strings, and you just can't cast the, the Will Smith's. You can't recast Will Smith's son. You can't fire him. I think that's the primary problem with this film is that he didn't. It, it didn't work. He didn't do well. Huh. I I didn't have strong feelings for or against his acting. It, I thought it, it was not good. He did not convince yeah. me of the journey he was supposed to be on. He did not convince me at the beginning of the film that he was a disaster. You know, he talks about he's a he's a mess. He's a disaster in the field. You know, he's not. Uh, you, you're not going to be advanced ranger. You know, da 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 da. And 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 instead, we see him doing well in the field. Like what? What? I don't understand. And and but it's obvious that you're supposed to be getting that he was not doing well and that he was not ready and that he was not good and that he had a lot of place to grow. You just didn't get that. And a lot of that was his acting. A lot of that was just his portrayal of his character. And, uh, he just, you know, and then, then when he's in the fort, like he doesn't ever change or learn anything until all of a sudden, now all of a sudden he's mastered his fear. And again, that's a failure of the actor. Because because the material in the hands of a capable actor might have propelled him to that point, but it didn't work. 
That's interesting. I still don't know what to think about him. I, I didn't see that. I, I was more bothered by other things like the CG anima, animals. The, uh, th- there was a heavy reliance on most all villains in the movie are creatures and they must be animated and we're going to show them in their fullness and they're going to be right there and they need to look terrifying. So we'll play some creepy music with a little bit of a jungle beat. And when you see this hawk eagle thing, it's going to scare the living daylights out of you. Or when, when, when there's these bam, baboons jumping around in the redwood forest, you're just going to be terrified. Well, but you know, they have teeth and they snarl, they chase you. But you know, Joe, everything on this planet where humans haven't been for thousands of years has evolved to kill humans. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense, I, I was right? so disappointed in that notion. Right, like, like, how have they evolved to kill humans when humans haven't been there for a thousand years? Explain that one, Jimmy. That didn't make any sense at well, all. Well, and they were killing each other, so why is it that we're saying they're out to get us? They were already out to get each other, too. What, what's the significance? I mean, look, people, in our modern world, animals eat animals. Bugs eat bugs. Animals eat bugs. Bugs eat plants. Plants eat bugs. I mean, like, everything is out to get each other, and yet somehow they... they, they bring this up to a level of well this is this is a moral quandary the whole the whole realm of nature is out to get mankind so mankind had to leave well you know what's funny in the setup of the story they give you the prologue at the beginning of the film mankind goes off and settles on another planet it looks like a dust ball i mean like a desert and on this other planet guess what tyrannical monsters out to get mankind that are far more vicious than anything left back here on earth. And what do they do? They stick around to fight these crazy, dangerous alien monsters on these other worlds and uh, on, on worlds that are not all that attractive. Think Mars. Do you want to live on Mars being hunted down by a vicious alien monster? Or would you like to go back to home on planet earth where you have gorgeous redwood forests and waterfalls <laughs> yeah. and duke it out with some baboons. Yeah. It was a little odd. It was like they and, were trying to make it out that earth was really dangerous, but earth wasn't really dangerous. No. <laughs> the, the most dangerous thing. And this is something that made absolutely no sense is the freeze that most of the earth would freeze over at night. Explain to me where, where all the greenery was coming from. If the no. thing fro- free would freeze every night. Well, TJ, obviously everything had evolved so that all the <laughs> plant life could withstand a frost every mm. daggum day. I guess well, hey, I have a question for you. Why didn't, uh, Cypher, General Cypher Rage, Will Smith's character, why didn't he need the oxygen breather thing? He's there on the same planet in a ship with a broken window. (laughs) You just ruined it for me. Man. (laughs) Okay, this film is really stupid. Yeah, I mean, think about that for just, I mean, I've thought about that during the film. Like, this is not one of the things I thought about driving home. This is like, Okay, he just gave right. him this oxygen thing. To clarify people, thing. Uh, you want to clarify the situation for us? So uh, apparently, Jaden Smith's character, uh, what's his name, something Rage, uh, Katai Rage, Katai, he has to have this liquid that he ingests that coats his lungs, that enables his lungs to breathe Earth's strange and changed oxygen, uh, the air, so that he can extract more oxygen and, and survive. But there's only enough for Jaden. There's not any for well for for cipher rage. I was what's up with that? How does that work? 
and the ship has crashed. It's broken, <laughs> they're, they're, and, and he's breathing the same air that Jaden is. It's in splintered pieces, like the plane from Lost. Yeah, exactly. So you're absolutely. Oh man, that that oh, you just ruined it. <laughs> The, okay. the, that was the last straw. Did, did that remove any star points for you? <laughs> it kind of did. <laughs> okay. Because that's so obvious. I don't know why I hadn't thought about it before. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Uh-huh. So my last complaint that I have written down in my notes anyway is that um, Will Smith, when when he's in a film, it, his part is all about his charisma, right? And, and his, his – um, persona that he projects on screen and in this this uh this charisma that he has and yet he completely <laughs> doesn't fit well in this role this role this role has none of that and this role is all about a uh, general who doesn't know how to relate to his son who's this big scary guy who has no fear and never cracks a joke or a smile this is just not will smith and it's not a part that he can do well right because they were trying to make it out that his um ability to uh close off emotions and not fear anything was his virtue, but they also made it abundantly clear that that was his uh, shortcoming. Right, because it was, it was, it was so because he was so closed off and reserved and uh, reclusive and quiet and and unemotional, unsensitive, insensitive, whatever. That he couldn't relate to his family. He could not relate to his daughter, his wife, his son. Or his, his, his other troops. He was just a robot. And then somehow underneath all this, he still expresses sentiment yeah. for his son. Yep. And you're right. Um, it was not what you would expect for a Will Smith role. And he is known for his very outgoing, vocal, um, elaborate characters. But you know what? I, don't, I didn't really mind Will's performance here. I didn't mind his character. Mm. I, I I would agree with you that his his uh, acting chops were not put to good use. Yeah, but that's my the character point. was okay, and he did a fine job of treating treating the character the way it needed to be dealt with. Yeah, I guess. Well, as my last criticism, really, apart from uh, the one the big one you introduced, is that on the whole. If you're going to have a lot of fantastic philosophical ideas in your story, like <laughs> George Lucas, then you better make them compelling ones. And I'm sorry that I keep using that word today, but it's on my mind. It's just um, they get very philosophical multiple times about why you should or should not be showing fear in very dangerous situations. Yeah. And the rationale didn't work for me it was uh it was a it was a huge stretch i'm not saying it wasn't possible i mean like i was convinced by the manner in which these characters experienced very terrifying things that they could actually manage to not be afraid in the face of huge odds against them and even so I just still I didn't care for their philosophy, the way that they were elaborating and trying to talk about fear inside and out. They made a much more compelling explanation for why fear exists than for how you can exercise the ability to not show fear. It was so, uh, well, poor, poorly communicated. Um, so, yeah, just, and, and 
in general, this whole notion of again about how nature is out to get us all. And then, well, then who's the enemy? Because in the prologue, they stage it that mankind is guilty of hurting the world. So we leave the world, Earth, and we go off to try and survive somewhere else. Doesn't make any sense. There aren't natural resources anywhere else, but whatever, fine. So we go to a dust ball, and uh, they try to survive in this other planet. It's not Mars. I don't know why they didn't just settle on Mars, because the place they go to is essentially Mars. But they went a long way to get there. And then uh, they encounter crazy alien monsters, and they want to stay there. Why? Um, it just, yeah, I didn't, I, th- I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, we gotta, we gotta wrap this up cause we're going long, but, um, is there anything you liked about the film? Uh, uh, two things. M night Shyamalan, like with, uh, signs, the sixth sense and, uh, the village lady in the water. He's, he's usually pretty good about creating things that look very unique on screen. Absolutely. Very unique environments, very unique uh, devices, vehicles, um, uh, strange and unique uh, characteristics of culture so that you feel like for these characters and the things that they use, that they are, in a sense, more realistic and, on, uh, and uh, authentic than you would have expected. They don't seem to be photocopies of things you see in the real world like you would expect in uh, other films. For instance... Um, in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, I kind of feel like uh, the interior of the Enterprise is a bit too plastic and a bit too stark white. Agreed, agreed. And a bit too flat and movie set-ish. Yep. And then in this film, they have uh, spacecrafts, and they feel like they were man-made, that they actually – there's some reasoning to how this is what a advanced – man-made spaceship could actually look like in the future. Yeah. This is something you would expect to actually find. And, and I kind of bought into that really fast. Um, and, and other gadgets and gizmos that Jaden's character uses to protect themselves were more convincing than you see in other creative outlets for other stories. Even this new Superman film. I'm not crazy about some of the design of the culture for Krypton that I see. No, oh, see, I kind of like that. What I what I'm seeing, but we'll I see. Like, we'll see. I, I like, but at the same time, I dislike. You know, for the reasons I've already described here, where it feels like it was borrowed from something in our world, and it doesn't feel unique and original to Krypton, where a completely different culture in a different part of the world universe would have come up with this all on their own. It feels like this has roots in stuff from our own our own culture, and I appreciate it that M Night is able to overcome that in a lot of his stories. Yeah, you know, the other thing uh, in terms of what I like is, man, M. Night Shyamalan, one thing he's really good at, and if you want a good example, there's an even better example than, than After Earth, is go look at The Sixth Sense. But he can take a camera and he can build a sense of anti- of uh, anticipation, a sense of uh, uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you, you, edge of your seat. What What is about to happen? Oh, my goodness. What in the world – is going on, you know. He can really take a camera and do that and do it well. And he gets some really, like you said, he gets some really unique shots. And he really, as far as the craft of his filmmaking, it is outstanding. And in After Earth is no exception. Um, and you know, I, I really love the world building. Uh, you've kind of alluded to this of just, you know, despite the nonsensical nature of what's going on on Earth, uh, the world that he's created. If you think of it as another planet other than Earth, it it it's it's really kind of cool. So. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, that's that's it. So um, I I'd originally given this film three and a half out of five stars. I'm going. I'm. I think I'm going to go with three of five stars. So just slightly better than a neutral kind of a rating. Hmm. Just a wee bit because I did. You know, I did enjoy the film. I, I did. Right, and if I don't overanalyze the things that really don't add up, like the 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 breathalyzer, <laughs> uh, then I would give it two and a half out of five stars. Where I just don't feel crazy about it, but it's not negative either. That's an average, right? A meh type type of rating. And if, uh, but then if I do think about the things like that that are really poorly done sci-fi elements, like you pointed out, then I would have to lower my rating. That would drop it to at least a two. Mm. Maybe a one and a half. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see why. I, I certainly can. Uh. Oh, you understand that one. Okay. Yeah. So so bottom line is you probably wouldn't recommend uh, – you, you'd recommend at least waiting until it came out on DVD. And I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of recommend- – you know, I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent whether you should see it in the theater or not. I enjoyed it, but uh, you know, I probably wouldn't knowing what I know now. So. Yeah. I, I, when, I, when I wrote down my, my bottom line thoughts, I was just saying – you know what, people, this is how it feels to me. A lot of people are saying how, what it feels like to them. And this, this is what I think. It feels like a movie that M. Night conceived of, which we know now he didn't. Will Smith conceived of it. It feels like something he made up when he was a teenager. Like, you know, this is a filmmaker. He, he wanted to be a screenwriter also. So he made up a story when he was a teenager. And he just left that in a scrap notebook. And it came back to him. And he was like, hey, I'll, you know, I have nothing else on my plate. So I'll make this one. But now we know that's actually not what happened. But then it's like he asked, it feels again, like he went and asked Will Smith, hey, can you help me write this? And then, you know, from there, they got not M. Night to actually direct it, but M. Night's apprentice to direct it. So it feels like it only pays homage to characteristics of M. Night films. It's not consistently M. Night in style. And then it was attributed to M. Night for marketing purposes at the end of the day. That's how it feels. Mm. Um, yeah, just uh, fun, but not interesting. It was like, it was obviously made for an adult audience, but it's targeting teenage boys. And uh, that doesn't really work. And, and the entertainment value is just not great. So it feels like it, it doesn't know what it wants to be. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. It's good. Ah, <sighs> people. Is that it? Are we done? Mm. Should we button it up? Yeah, sure. All TJ's right. been fun. Yeah, long it, episode. It has. Double features are that way. Yeah, they are, and that's that's all because we missed last week's show. So we you, will. You could you could insert an intermission between the two reviews or something. <laughs> sure, you can do that if you want. Although you know, it's not that long. <laughs> I listen to podcasts that are longer. Come on. So, um, you know, next week we're going to be talking about Man of Steel. We've already talked about at the top of the show how excited we are about Man of Steel. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I'm going to go see it with my wife. We're going to talk about it next Wednesday. So make sure you see it this weekend so that you can avoid any spoilers because I can pretty much guarantee you we will be spoiling it next week. There will be no doubt about that. Yeah. So if you want to catch the show notes for this episode, you go to moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash uh, – oh, no, what, what episode is this? This is 47, so slash 47. Uh, that's where you'll find the show notes. If you are not lucky enough to have a podcaster, a podcatcher that pulls the show notes in, like Instacast, um, if you want to give us feedback, you can do so right on the uh, right on that link that I just mentioned. There will be a comment form there from Discuss that we have embedded into the site. 
You can give us feedback on the podcast, interact with us there. I keep an eye on all of those comments that come in, and so I will interact with you. If uh, you uh, feel like interacting with us, please do so over there. Um, you can uh, rate the show on iTunes. We would love for you to give us a five-star rating. That, that always makes us feel very special. So you search for Movie Byte on iTunes, and we're right there in the podcast directory. Easy to find. Uh, that's it. We're out of here. Thanks so much for listening to the Movie Byte podcast. Yep. Have a good night. Have a good night.